The following is an exclusive presentation of Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation. Welcome to the Pirate Radio Podcast, featuring special guests discussing a wide range of topics and personal stories. Now, inside the Pirate Radio Studio, here's your host, Troy Dreyfus. Welcome into the show. On today's episode of the Pirate Radio Podcast, we talk to East Carolina University graduate Chris Knott. You may not know his name, but I bet you know the brands that he's been a part of. Chris is currently with the Johnny O menswear brand and has been a big part of their success. During his journey in the clothing industry, he also founded Peter Millar. How did a kid out of Fuquay Verena and an ESU graduate go on to develop some of the top brands in the country? Well, we'll find out today on a special edition of the Pirate Radio Podcast with Chris Knott. And let's welcome in to the studio, Chris Knott, the founder of Peter Millar. And Chris, great to have you. We've been wanting to do this with you for a while, so glad to have you here in Greenville. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, I want to talk about your journey. It's it's easy for people to see the success that you've had and the brands that you've been a part of and what the future might hold for you and some of the new ventures you're involved in. But let's go back to the beginning. You're an East Carolina graduate. You grew up in Fuquay, Verena. How, how did you end up, first of all, coming to East Carolina in the 80s? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I wanted to get away from the Raleigh area, you know, like NC State was right there. And I came down to Greenville and it had a different feel to it. And I knew automatically that's where I wanted to come to school. So it was, it was never a doubt. So you, uh, you graduated East Carolina in 1987 and you were a, a fashion merchandising major. Is that right? I was. Yeah, I was um, fortunate enough in high school to work in a men's clothing store called Ashworth down in um, Fuquay. And it was, um, I got a little taste for the men's business. All the sales reps were coming by, and I wanted to do that. So I came off to East Carolina and um, got a job at Brody's in the plaza. I worked for um, Hyman Brody and and you know, joined the K house and worked every day after school and, you know, got out in four years, luckily. And, um, and um, it was kind of interesting. When I got out of school, I didn't really know, you know, it's all timing. And um, I gave um, John Kaufman a call and he made a call to New York and got me a job at Hart Shafter Marks in their um, New York showroom. So I kind of packed all my stuff up and moved to New York and slept on a couch for about a year. But that was the the journey. So when you worked at Brody's, and for some of our younger listeners that may not be familiar, that's kind of was a, a local Belks yeah, at the yeah. time. When I came here, Belks and Brody's were your two big department stores. Yeah, it was like uh, a specialized department store. Yeah, so you worked there all during college. Absolutely. Yes. And now, I'm curious, in the 80s, were there? Uh, when I was in East Carolina, I was familiar with fashion merchandise majors, but they were all females. So you, uh, were you yeah. kind of unique being one of the only uh, guys in that major? Yeah, I was. I kind of liked it. It was good. <laughs> but, um, what a brilliant move, Chris. <laughs> it was. I had the... Um, the ladies at um, Brody's, our alteration ladies and our tailors, they'd help me, you know, we had to sew a few things so I could take it in there after um, school and they would do some of the heavy lifting for me. So it worked out pretty good. So a, a major that you ended up, pers- a lot of people graduate with a degree and they end up doing something totally different. You you stayed true to your degree. You wanted to stay in the fashion and in, in the clothing business. Um, when, when you graduated, you said you, you got out graduated in 88 and john kaufman who you did not work for right. by the way i guess you just knew from being in the business exactly. made this call up to a new york showroom and what what was that job about and what was that first uh, first gig like yeah you know, that was a great question back in the in the 80s 
there was one building in New York called the 1290 building that had about 150 manufacturers. So you just ride up and down the elevator, pant makers, suit makers, you know, top coats, the whole dress-up deal. And um, Hart Shafter Marks, a big Chicago-based company, and John had gone through that whole training program and, and done that whole deal. And um, and they really had kind of like an IBM-type training program. So you worked in a showroom, and all these customers from all over the country would come in, and they had different lines in there, Austin Reed and Hart Shafter Marks and Christian Dior, Henry Grethel for a while. So the showroom guys would keep all those showrooms intact, you know, with all the swatches and samples and had to be, like, market-ready all the time. So you're really hands-on working with it. But what was unique for me was all the mill agents from around the world, Italy and Turkey and Brazil, all these places would come into that showroom and work with our merchandisers. So all the people that picked all the fabrics and did all the design work happened to be in that same office. And then that's when I got a little bit of sneak, you know, look under the hood at Mm -hmm. what it was like to design. So for those three years, I sold and designed in New York, you know, kind of an assistant designer, even though I don't have you, I couldn't draw a stick man, but you're working with fabrics and colors Mm -hmm. and you start to understand how the game works. I kind of get the feeling that having this opportunity up in New York, it would be much like an actor getting an opportunity in Hollywood, that, that this is the epicenter of fashion at the time. It was New York City. And to be able to have an opportunity like that was probably very huge. Yeah, yeah, unique. Yeah, no, it was definitely the... Um, back then, if you were going to want to be a sales rep, which is like the, my ultimate goal was to move back down south. I ended up moving back down. I was a Burberry sales rep and all that. You had to go through New York, you mm-hmm. know, especially in the men's business. The ladies' business is New York, maybe L.A., you know, but the manufacturing is all based out of there. So you mentioned your goal ultimately was to be a, a sales guy for one of these big clothing companies. Yes. Um, that that was ultimately what you wanted to do. Were you successful in that? Yeah, I was. I, I, I got lucky of the guy that um, a Southern guy kind of took to me as a trainee and, you know, and wanted to help me out. And um, so I'd come down and travel with him. I was really like his packer, you know, I'd carry his bags around and, and do what I had to do, you know, to make sure you know, we went from city to city, and we'd be in Atlanta, Georgia one day, and goes, hey, our next appointment's in Richmond, Virginia. So we'd drive to Richmond, Virginia. And um, this fella was kind of a legend and ran a little hard and was a little tough on his body and passed away, you know, in his 60s, which he looked like he was 80 at the time. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, he kind of wanted me to have his territory, and I was able to take it up over. But his introduction to I mean, him introducing me to all the retailers, you know, the George Kaufmans of the world, Hyman Brody's, all those people. That was a big deal to get some young kid. And you were selling? I was selling suits in sport coats. Time. Yeah, yeah, it was called um, H. Aritzky was a company out of um, Reading, Pennsylvania. All right, so you, you graduated ECU, you got this experience up in New York, and then you came back to North Carolina as a salesperson Absolutely. back in 91. And yeah. how long did that go for? So I sold um, till, um until 2001, I was actually just an independent rep where I'd, you know, I'd have a tie line, a suit line, a shoe line, whatever, just mm-hmm. whatever it took to pay the bills. Because you basically, you jumped in a minivan with some racks in it and drove all over the country selling clothes, mm-hmm. and um, which was great because you got to see the whole Southeast. I've been to towns that most people would never go to because right. business took you there. So, um, and it still goes on that way today. The territories are a little bit bigger because of, um, you know, People have to have bigger territories. There's not quite as many men's stores in every little town because, right. you know, the obvious reasons, you know. So um, 
But I did that, and then even after I started Peter Moore in 2001, I still sold. So I still traveled and sold, you know, up until probably 2005 or six, where I just kind of handed over my territory and and had sales reps selling for me. All right, we're talking with me. Talking to Chris Knott, founder of Peter Millar, one of the uh, top national brands. Really, uh, probably not just in the country, but I think you guys sell international, right? Yeah, the, the company I left in 2015, um, a, a wonderful company called Richemont that owns Cartier, Montblanc, all these great luxury brands, they bought it. So I left in 2015. The brand has exploded since I left. So I think it's the best thing ever happened to me leaving. But yeah, they've, <laughs> they've, done, they've done great. They've um, you know, expanded with stores, and the, and the brand is as healthy as ever. I want to go back to the talk about the journey, though, because it's one, a lot of people have ideas, but they don't always become reality. So you had an idea that you wanted to do your own clothing brand. You've been in the business. You studied it. You'd, you'd been selling it. Um, how did you take this idea that says, you know what, I could make a shirt or I could make some pants and I could come up with a brand. How did you make that a reality? First, what was the first item? What was the first idea that gave you that spark to say, I could do this? No, that's a great question. Um, you know, I was working for a brand called Burberry out of London and it was really on fire. The brand was doing great, but I could tell that they really didn't want sales reps. They wanted everybody to come to New York. They only wanted to deal with like the Neiman Marcuses of the world. And I saw the writing was on the wall. I said, I've got to start something that I've got some equity in because I'm, I'm going to work just as hard selling their brand as I would my brand. Mm-hmm. So I started out making cashmere sweaters. And um, the idea was to have all these beautiful, bright cashmere sweaters you know, at affordable prices. You know, they're not cheap, but they weren't luxury price points. So I I went out and um, started selling cashmere sweaters. And there's another local guy here named Chris Warren that was working for Bobby Jones at the time. And he went out and sold some sweaters um, for me. And some of the other reps did it as a sideline. And all of a sudden... What were the sweaters branded as? It was branded as Peter Millar. Okay, so that was your first product. Yeah. Okay, big question before you go on. Why wasn't this brand called Chris Knott you know, instead of Peter Millar? Great question. You, you, you're on it. No, I tell you what happens is, because right now, the fact that I've sold the company and I'm not there anymore, somebody else would own your name. So that happens a lot with right. designers. Like, all of a sudden, you don't own your name anymore. And, and if can, something bad happens to it, 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 you have no control over it. It usually goes downstream if it's got your and name it's a reflection on. of you. Yeah, so I didn't want to do that. And, okay, um, so it was by design. That was by design, yeah. Um, and um, now... Whether smart or not, but it's like so. How did you come? Who's Peter Millar? Oh, that's a great question. Um, if the name came off an old English lawn ball that my mother gave me, it's like one of these. If you ever been down to Pinehurst and seen mm-hmm. those guys out there rolling those balls in those white suits, that's a lawn ball, and they're kind of not completely round. But when you roll them, you know, if you don't roll it straight, it curves one way or the other. And the guy's name on there was Peter Millar, mm-hmm. and um, anyway. Turns out that's a very common name overseas. It's like Miller over there is how they mm-hmm. pronounce it. So we had to, you know, there was an author over there named Peter Millar that owned the URL that we ended up having to buy the URL from. And I mean, I hadn't talked about this stuff in a long time. It's kind of looking back as what a crazy journey. Yeah. And um, so, um, but over there is pretty common. So that was, I tell everybody that asked me about that is, you know, if it didn't work, it was a very bad idea. But the fact that it did work, it was great. And, um, you know, as I, you know, grew, like, I mean. So you contact a plant, you, you start making cashmere sweaters as a Peter Miller branded item. 
and you start selling them basically out of your car. Pretty much, yeah, that's it. And the, the one thing I did that, you know, just because I founded the company, everybody, you know, they don't know everybody else, but like I, I realized very quickly what I was good at and what I was bad at. And so I had like great partners all along, you know, that could do the production in the back office. And I brought in some heavy duty partners that could actually run the company. You know, like I was never, I never wanted to be a CEO. I just loved, you know, designing product and making product mm-hmm. and selling. So luckily, you know, I found folks that were interested in me and the brand that were willing to join. And we all kind of rode along and, and everybody, and a lot of those folks are still there. And um, I mean, I just talked to a guy this morning out of the blue. He's been there 15 years, happy as can be. And it's, it's really a great story. Who was the first person to buy a Peter Millar sweater? Oh, that's a great story. It's a guy named Jimmy Long in Tupelo, Mississippi. And um, it was funny. I was in a room in New York with this group that happened, John Kaufman happens to be in. And I was showing it to him in another vendor showroom. And because I was jumping from Burberry over here and back and forth and all this stuff. And um, Jimmy Long, give me an order pad. I said, why? He goes, I want to be the first one to write an order. So um, I gave him an order pad and he bought 12 sweaters. And then the clothing business, we call like when you buy suits and sport coats, we call them sleeves. Mm-hmm. How many sleeves are you buying? So he handed me an order for 12 sweaters. He goes, here's 24 sleeves. <laughs> like, so, so it was my first order. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, that, guy, that guy has the <laughs> honor and privilege of being the very first Peter Millar customer. From there, how quickly did it grow, Chris? You know, I think in um, you know the first season, I think we sold like 4,800 sweaters. And we were clicking along pretty good. And, and then in 2006, we brought in some heavy-duty partners and some money. And that's when it exploded. I mean, we would probably still be a small company if I were running it with my finances and, mm-hmm. um, you know, my skill set. But, you you know, there's you got to have some drivers in there and you got to have some money to, to drive a business like that. I, I will say this for on a personal note, I, when you were getting this thing built and I didn't know you at the time, but I was I, I knew it was the East Carolina guy behind the brand. And a lot of people thought Peter Millar was a person. They still right. do, probably. Um, you were the person behind that brand and that fictional person. But I love the product. I, I think yeah. you were making some great stuff. I, I, I have a lot of Peter Millar in my closet. And I think you, you ended up what? I mean, there's probably not a men's clothing store in the country that doesn't have some type of Peter Millar branded uh, no, merchandise, no, right? It, it really is. It's um, well distributed in all the right places. And um, <clears throat> I mean, the brand's very protected, which is what you want. You know, um, even though I'm not there anymore, the the team that runs it has, has done nothing but elevate it. Yeah. And, um, and that, that makes you proud. You yeah. see it in all the right you, places. You are to Peter Millar what Bill Gates is to Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you start, he's not there anymore. Yeah. The company goes on. But you put the foundation, the pieces in place that it's still yeah. successful today. Yeah, I'm proud of that. You know, that's the part about being a founder is, um, I mean, look, I still love to see people wearing Peter Millar. Even though I work for another clothing company now. Yep. Um, it, it makes me proud. I'll, I'll never forget going down the Masters and um, sitting there with my dad. And I was, I was still with the company then. And... Um, I think like the six people sitting in front of us on the 16th hole watching the par three, we're all wearing Peter Mar shirts, which yeah. is really cool. And um, yeah, I remember my dad was like, you know, had to say something to him about it and all that. I was like, don't say anything. <laughs> yeah. But it's all, I mean, what you said about the quality and all the, what we did at that time was we delivered a, a great product at a very, what I call a fair price. You know, mm-hmm. It's not inexpensive, it's right. not expensive, but it was a value to it. Yeah. And um, and then to me, anything with value works. It could yeah. be a restaurant, it could be 
advertising but yeah value usually wins it's not you know you're not charging louis vuitton prices right but yeah. you're not giving it away either uh i, I do agree it's not a, right. a cheap product but it is a it, it's a quality product that's right you uh, know it's the stuff quality. i have is held up well and then you know years old and it still looks good yeah when you get into like men's sportswear which are like you know knit shirts and wovens and things like that I mean, you can make a good product without it being crazy price. When you get into designer, um, you see the prices go up because they're global brands. They've got stores everywhere. They got to, they got to keep the prices up to keep that you know level up. So it's a totally different animal. Like a true global brand, like a Louis Vuitton or Gucci or those mm-hmm. brands. Those are true international global luxury brands. Talking to Chris Knott. He is the founder of Peter Millar and uh, East Carolina Pirate graduates on today's Pirate Radio podcast today. So we've taken you up to the point where you're exiting Peter Millar. I guess you've kind of taken it as far as you felt you could take it. And it, the timing was right. And evidently, you're, you got bought out of the company. Is that right? Yeah. No, we had a... Um, a um, a sell the company in 2012 and um i always say the company you know it was doing great it probably outgrew me like you know i'm kind of a small town guy and um you know we'd sold it and um the company was doing great but it was just you know you just gotta know when it's time to leave right you yeah. know it's like and it's gone on and done even better since i left so like kenny rogers said that's right yeah. to hold him, yeah, and, to it, hold and i never looked back it was it was a great deal so i had a little um a year and a half non-compete, which was great. You know, played a lot of golf and mm-hmm. to where I got tired of it or fished. And and um, but if you're an entrepreneur, and most people I know that are entrepreneurs, that never that fire never goes out. No, you sometimes you need to get away from yeah. it to see how much you miss it. I was 48 years old. I you know I was very fortunate. I'd been traveling my whole life. It was nice to be home. My daughter was still mm-hmm. in high school. She's now here in East Carolina. So it was a great move. And then um, this company, Johnny O, was a West Coast company. A guy named John O'Donnell's the founder. Came up with this really cool little surfer dude logo. His brother's Chris O'Donnell, the actor. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of got like this kind of Hollywood kind of, um, you know, following background to it. And um, my partner and I had tried to buy Johnny O about five years earlier because we thought it was a really cool brand. Mm-hmm. And um, we thought, man, if we put our, you know, you know, sourcing and everything behind it we could really grow this thing well we didn't end up buying it but that's how i met john and um and everybody knew i had a non-compete or whatever so when john um when my non-compete was up he's like look we'd love for you to come work here so it was a little scary it was kind of weird wearing a different hat yeah but, um at that time i spent a lot of time at riceville beach and living down there a lot and i'd gotten real casual and mm-hmm. it, like kind of fit my lifestyle and the brand is kind of a casual brand yeah, it's, right? it's but. casual yeah it's not quite as dressy um and it is casual and um and we've gone out and you know we've um knock on wood and in three and a half years we've opened you know all the right men's stores you know it's um and and it's and we've got like a nice high-end resort business and a nice catalog business and that kind of thing so it's, it's going well i mean I will say the the brand has exploded, I think, since you signed on with them. And I think the growth of the company would show that. I don't know if you can disclose numbers or what it is, but what it was when you got there versus what it is now. Yeah, no, it's 10 times, Which, but it's not all me. We brought in like a, we got a great team of people with, um, you know, with uh, salespeople you got to have that you made new from the past. Uh, we've got great factory relationships, you know, from years and years. You know, there's a lot of, 
pieces of the puzzle. Like I say, it's hard to bake a cake unless you got all the right ingredients. Yeah. And we got an unbelievable, you know, social media department and a great CEO. And it's it's really fun to watch it. It's a little different vibe than you know, being a West Coast company. Our CEO went to MIT grad school. Our CEO went to Dartmouth and Stanford. It's like a little bit different than what you're used to on the East Coast. And um, it's been really great for me. How big or how hard is it to break through with the clothing brand? Because I see, you know, Southern Tide is kind of a, a brand that has exploded, yeah. at least down here recently. And then I see a lot of knockoffs. You know, then yeah. there's a, a, there's 15 other companies like Southern Tide, but not them, but have a similar name. Yeah. Uh, everybody wants to be the next Southern Tide, Peter Millar, Johnny yeah. O. How hard is it? And, and how many people are out there with brands trying to be that next national brand? Well, that, that's a great question. I, the Vineyard Vines of the world. You yeah. Know. I'll tell you what happened in our businesses. <clears throat> Vineyard Vines came out with that. They were making neckties originally. And they were kind of like Hermes, little neat looking neckties, but at yeah, affordable prices. And then they put the well on the shirt. And when they did... What America was dying to have another brand like what Polo used to be mm-hmm. in the I mean, you know, used to. And I was in college. I bought Ralph Lauren from Kaufman's. Yeah, I mean, it was seventy five dollars shirt back then. I mean, it was right. it was like the premium brand. Yep. So, um, oh, I grew up on Ralph Lauren. We all did, right? Yeah. So, and then Ralph went on to do billions of dollars and ended up more department store in their own mm-hmm. stores, and it kind of left a hole in the men's specialty store market. And what happened was. The younger people weren't shopping at the men's specialty store because it got a little too serious. I mean, like not too serious for what they were doing, but it wasn't anything in there for a high school kid to buy. Right. So when Vineyard Vines came out, fast forward, they kind of created this new niche. And then, you know, I, I mean, just look around at how many people. And, and Todd Howell's wife, Reagan, was part of the Southern Proper, which was the first Southern brand, which I don't know if many people know that. And they came out with Southern Proper which was right on the money at the time, you know, with the bow ties and everything. And um, and then I think other Southern brands started to copy it. Then it, it became everything was Southern. And we had an ad agency back at my old company pitch us one time, and they wanted to pitch this whole Southern thing. Mm-hmm. And we, we said, no, nah, we don't want to get caught in that, in that little niche, you know, because we think it may run its course a little bit. Um, and, you know, the guys at Southern Tide have done great. It's still – does a great brand. So I'm about Oxford Industries. They own, they own several good brands. You mm-hmm. know, Lily Pulser and Duckhead, and you know, they own Tommy Bahama, and they own Southern Tide now. But but how difficult is it to try and break so through? Hard. So I mean, hard. I mean, like you've got to have everything going for you. I mean, the thing that we had is is we had um, customers. You know, so um, if you can go out your first season and sell everybody two dozen sweaters that you're selling other stuff to. That gets you off the starting block, mm-hmm. and um, and we didn't have to go borrow any money to do it. You know, you're yeah. just kind of doing it out of your checkbook. I mean, there were some lean years there. I, mean, I came home one day, and my wife asked me what was wrong with me. I was having an anxiety attack, and it was really because things were getting serious, and cash was going out the door, and you're like betting your whole life on this thing. You got a two year old, yeah, and um, you know, it's a good thing to go through, but there's a lot of stress that comes along with it. <laughs> We're talking to Chris Knott. He's the founder of Peter Millar, currently with Johnny Yo. What's your official title with Johnny Yo? A lot of folks may be familiar with that brand yeah. as it's really grown throughout yeah, the country. They, um, the guys at Johnny Yo brought me in to be like what they call their chief merchant, and uh, which means you know we we have a design studio in uh, in Raleigh, believe it or not. All the Johnny O product, which is a California-based company that you see all over the world, 
comes out of that studio. Hmm. So um, we have about four of us that designed the whole line there. It's very compact and um, it's kind of nice because it's easy and it's, um, you know everything's right there. It's like yeah. a true studio. And I invite people up all the time. I had a friend of mine from Greenville last week. Him and his daughter came up and looked at it. So I'm, I'm very open to show it to people. Very cool. And yeah. full disclosure, I'm wearing a Johnny O shirt today as we talk. <laughs> very comfortable. One of my favorite shirts, by the way. Um, let's talk about the future with you, Chris. What what is is the future johnny o is it do you have a burning desire to do one more startup uh what does the future hold no i love i love what i'm doing it's um i mean i've got a long we got a long way to go with johnny o like we've got it going the way we i mean we we can't imagine it being this good right now just from looking back three and a half years ago it was really good it just you know we've done a lot of right things so right now I'm involved in some other stuff, you know, real estate stuff, you know, um, things like that that keeps me busy outside. But right now, I don't really have a desire to start another company. I wouldn't mind maybe being on some boards of some other companies that help people do it. And um, but um, but it's so hard to get it just right. It's like having a probably a winning, you know, national championship football team. Right. Everything's got to click. There's a lot of teams, but only one team wins a championship. It's got to click. And, yeah. Um, it's very rare when it does. Yeah. You it's might like, be on your second championship here. Back to back with Chris. Um, Chris, let's talk about what you're doing in the community. For As we mentioned, you're, you're an East Carolina guy. Your daughter goes to school here now. Your wife graduated here in 89, so a pirate family through and through. Uh, a lot of people will be familiar. I call it the old Cubbies building because yeah. when I came to school here uh, in the late 80s and, and early 90s, it was where Cubbies was on the corner Same of here. 5th Street and, and Evans, which is literally just a block away from where we're talking right now right. at the Pirate Radio Studios. You guys have bought that building. A lot of people ask me, man, what's going on down there? What's happening? <laughs> uh, major renovation. It's got a lot of buzz. And uh, for a lot of folks listening, they will not realize that you're the one behind it you, yeah. you're the one that actually bought that property to renovate so share share your vision of what you have brewing for the corner of fifth and evans yeah no, that's i appreciate you asking that um so another local guy bill johnson you guys may know lives in um another Matt, great pirate yeah another great pirate he's so on the station many times as a sports agent yeah so yeah. um bill's mother had a building on evans street that i was looking at to say look bill i'll come throw some money in it and I'll use it like as an apartment when I'm down here, you know, for football game weekends. And then, um, as it turned out, Tony Corey, who's a local guy, has done mm-hmm. a lot downtown. I got to meet him, and he had a buyer for Bill's mom's building. He said, y'all should go buy the, the Cubbies bill. I was like, all right, if you, you say so, um, Tony. So anyway, Bill and I bought that building, and what we're doing with it is we're, we turned the upstairs into two, like, um, rooftop, you know, apartments or condos that we're going to sell. And then the downstairs is going to be commercial and um, it can either be one big space or two small. I mean, it's one space like 1,600, others 1,300. And really, you know, we've, um, it took a while to, everything was so hot when we started to get the engineering plans. But once that happened, um, um, Lynn Tozier and his team had really, really, I mean, they've been on fire with it, getting it going. So, mm-hmm. So that's what it's going to be. It's going to be residential upstairs with a huge rooftop deck that's really cool. It up looks there. it it's, looks pretty cool. It's cool up there. Looking and, and um, what so happened? those are going to, you're going to sell those, not rent them. Yeah, we're going to sell those okay. just um, just because you know to get some of our money back out of it. But um, then, what happened uh, to keeping one for yourself for game days? Eventually, we'll have game days here. I know. Well, you know, I think I'm going to have a little write in. I think we got a guy that wants them both. We're going to have access to one of them. I hope I can rent from him. But I ended up buying a house down here. I can bring my dogs and all that stuff. Okay. So, um, but the uh, but what happened? 
happened to me was I'd, I'd always, when I came back to Greenville, I was just going to Kaufman's. It was a work deal for me. So I was going to Kaufman's, working and leaving. I wasn't coming downtown any. Uh-huh. And um, and then I drove downtown when my daughter and I did the you know the school tours. And I'm seeing all these great apartment buildings, you know, the restaurants that weren't here, the mm-hmm. whole um, Dickerson you know, uptown deal. I was, it mm-hmm. kind of blew me away. I got a, like I felt like I was in Oxford, Mississippi, looking at the square. You know, so that kind of made me think. You know, maybe there's something to do down here to kind of yeah. help what's going on down here. So it's. Um, I know folks that live here have seen it change slowly, but for somebody that wasn't spending time here, right, it really had changed a lot in 20 years. So it was it was very nice and kind of got invigorated me a little bit to do something. Well, it's a it's a big project that you guys are doing, very noticeable. Uh, what's the time frame on it? You know, we're probably about three months out still. Um, you know, it's, we had to do a lot of like structural work mm-hmm. and um, to get it. We didn't, you know, we didn't want to tear the building down, and you know, it's, it's just going to be updated. It's not going to be modern, but it's going to be current. So. Um, it just takes a while when you start doing all that brickwork and, oh, yeah. and you start putting rooftop decks on there. Is this your first commercial project like this? This in depth, yeah, with an older building, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's, it's has it it's, motivated you to want to do more, or is it <laughs> that scared you away never to do it again? You know what? It's I would do plenty more of them. I just would know more what to look for. Which is, mm-hmm. I mean, look, we felt like we bought the building at a fair price, so we kind of built in some of that. So we're we're happy with where we are, but we haven't cut any corners. So. I mean, I'm sure we could have, but we said, look, we want it to be a showpiece. I love Cubbies. I mean, I, my little LLCs, Cubbies LLC, or not, I mean, my little spreadsheets, not my, not official, but we love that. And um, it was like a kind of a deer spot. So hopefully we'll get some, um, you know, some good tenants that will complement all the other guys mm-hmm. down here. Well, it's great to have you invest back in the community here. Uh, I, I know a lot of people are excited about that. Great to have you involved in Greenville and East Carolina University. How much does your old uh, school, where you majored at, uh, I'm sure they're very proud of you and what you've been oh, able yeah. to accomplish and probably always trying to get you back to talk to students. I do that, too. I enjoy that we were on a good roll um, before COVID. And, um, but, yeah, I've gotten on the, the board over there and gotten involved, which has been great. I love it. And, um and I've speak to some of the classes, and really what I try to tell the kids is like what it's really like, you know, once you leave school and you go get in the clothing business. I mean, you're not sitting on runways drinking champagne. You know, it's yeah. um, it's like any other job. You got to mm, get your hands dirty. Yeah. And I really try to teach them, like, go get a job while you're in high school or college. I mean, now you're in college. Like, when, when someone comes in and interviews with me, I want to see who they work for, you know, other than their parents and their coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a big deal for, you know, for me. And, um, and that's something that kids need to really do if I were giving anybody an advice because they're yeah. going to go to the top of the list at an interview if they've had well, some experience. You stole my thunder in my last big question. <laughs> I was going to say with all the experience and the life life experiences you have, what what would that piece of advice be for someone young that might be listening to us that wants to be where, where you are when they're older? I think you just got to, I call it getting off the glass. I mean, we're all addicted to our phones. It's, I mean, it's, um, if you've seen Social Dilemma yet on Netflix, it'll tell you that it's not, I mean, it's not just kids, adults, everybody's, you know, it's just the way the world works right now. Mm-hmm. So I just think people need to be interacting with, you know, other people and doing things that where you're not on your phone all the time, you know, whether it's you know, working in a stock room or if you're in clothing, selling clothing or working on construction site, if you're, but you've got to get that experience because nothing happens unless you're willing to get your hands dirty. So that's what I really say to all these students. Chris Knott, what a journey. What an uh, a, a 
empire you have helped build and, and many brands that will live on uh, long maybe when you're gone that they'll yeah. still continue yeah. on you know, i don't know if you think like that but uh peter Millar could be around for a long time so could johnny o, so. oh no thank you look it's i've uh, had a lot of help along the way i appreciate it and um and i still love it which is great you know 55 now and i still get excited about going into work every day thank you for sharing your story with us today here on our uh, pirate radio podcast very interesting great always uh glad to have fellow pirates that have had such such success be able to share their stories on uh, on venues like this so we wish you the best and uh, who knows what the future could hold too for you, you so we might, might have to do this again in a few years Chris, yeah, no. to get an update so yeah, uh, no, i'll be glad to good luck with the building across just next to us here on on evan street and uh we wish you continued success thank you i appreciate you having me in that is chris not east carolina graduate and once again founder of peter Malore and uh, many other things that he is involved in great to have his story and journey with us today on the pirate radio podcast that's going to wrap it up for this episode until i greet you next time for another episode i'm troy dreyfus thanks for listening and so long everybody you've been listening to the pirate radio podcast an exclusive presentation of pirate radio the voice of the pirate nation